journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Hello, hello, Shavua Tov, and welcome to another show on 101.95. And this is my favorite time of the week. I hope it is yours too. Um, as we are trans- transversing the Bible, the most mystical text, but the, the best seller, the best, best seller ever been on planet Earth. And it is, of course, over here where we learn morality, we learn clarity, we learn how to uh, live our lives, we learn about our purpose, and so much more. And as always, you need to travel that journey with me if you have any questions or comments. Um, the SMS line is 34519. The telegram number is 061-895-1019. For those of you that are following every single week, we are in the book of Exodus. We are still hanging around the burning bush. There was a lot to be spoken about at the burning bush. So we are taking our time going through the banter backwards and forwards um, between Moses and God as to the instructions as to what will happen. And as always, this always gives us not only lessons in life, it also gives us an insight into uh, the future redemption, the future redemption being the redemption that we are waiting for ever so long. We have been waiting for the last two and a half, three thousand years for the arrival of Mashiach and to bring this world to fruition. And it kind of like feels, I don't know about anybody else, but it kind of, kind of like feels that um, we are in the throes of plagues around the world where God is disrupting the world and bringing down all sorts of structures and strictures that we, we kind of have, have they've been the pharaohs of our existence. And by that, uh, I mean we always trusted in our governments, we always trusted in the monetary system. We trusted the weather. We trusted all of these things. And today we could, we could go and say, these are modern day pharaohs where we really were subservient to them, believed in them, trusted them. And what we are seeing now is an absolute hodgepodge. Things are being turned upside down, inside out, destroyed, reinvented. It's just, it's, it's a mess. This world is a mess. And it's not, while, while it's painful to watch, and while it's, it's, you know, really not an, a nice time to live through it, it's the same as what happened in Egypt. When Moses gets the instruction and he goes down into Egypt, things didn't get better. They got worse. And then there were all sorts of, and I'm putting in inverted commas, natural events that shook up Egypt. And it took a long time for the Egyptians and particularly Pharaoh to come to the recognition that this wasn't about sorcery, this wasn't about the occult, but in fact that there is a God in this world and that he is running it and, and things go according to his will. And eventually, yes, they let go and they say, that's it. Um, you know, go, go out, leave, leave your Egypt. And it's a very profound lesson for us today. I know that I've been approached many times. I even think about it myself, like, gosh, this world. I don't want to look at another news item. I don't want to see all the fractitious arguing that is going backwards and forwards. I don't want to look at this world that is so upside down, and there is so it's so difficult to have um, moral clarity. But in it is in in it all. Um, whilst it's it's very painful, um, there's a silver lining to it, and that is that the world as we know it 
is being dismantled so that we will be able to be open to a world that would be infinitely better on all aspects of our lives um, when Mashiach arrives. And we've been promised. We've been told. We've received prophecy, okay, particularly from uh, the Zubavitcher Rebbe of our time, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, um, has told has told um, us many times that we are the last generation of Galut and the first of Geula, that we are going to be the generation that is trans- going to transition from a world of, of Galut, of closeness, of subservient to the wrong things, to a world of Geula where we are going to have peace, where we are going to have health, where we are going to have harmony, where we are going to have all the right things that we are all chasing every single day. But we need to transition over it, and the birth process is painful. As it is, we can draw the analogy of a woman in, um, you know, giving birth. So, you know, we know very well for the first nine months, the baby's conceived and, and, and grows um, in a miraculous way in the mother's womb. But when the baby has to come out, there is a lot of tension. There is a lot of process. There is a lot of pain. There's a lot of contraction. There's a lot of, it looks like it's terrible. But we know that once the baby is born, there's a massive muzzle tov and that we've actually birthed a new reality. We've, we've birthed another being into this world. So too now we are in contractions and I would say even more. We are in active labor and the world is, 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 is shivering, shaking. It's, 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 it's unstable. But we need those processes to break down the barriers. Um, to allow us to come to a consciousness where we will have a world that is filled with divinity and we are able to, 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 to bring in the messianic process. And as we will see, even with Moses, when even Moses, um, to an extent was hesitant in trying to go through this process, um, because it was going to be d- difficult and it was going to be, um, fractitious. It, it definitely was. You know, uh, the Jewish people got mad at him. Pharaoh got mad at him. And he had to just like keep the main thing, the main thing. I think one of the main lessons we can learn um, for, for today is that, yes, the world is in a balagan. There is protests and screaming and shouting and banking and, and wars and, 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 and despots trying to take over the place. The bottom line is, and probably the most important thing is, is that God is in control, number one. Um, God is, there is a silver lining and God is just taking us through this birthing process. And the way that we keep our moral compass is to remember that, is to remember that God is in control, that nothing happens without the will of God and that we trust in God that we will see this process through and be at the receiving end, at the other end, where the, where we will be like the Jews who were redeemed from Egypt. We will split the sea and we will be on the other side. And I think it bears, it bears importance to remember this as we are learning through the verses in the Bible. So we're going to continue our discussion. We are in on chapter three. Moses is standing at the burning bush. So chapter three of the book of Exodus. If anybody is sitting around sipping their, uh, or eat, sipping their tea or eating their lunch, chapter three, we're going to learn, look in verse 21. So, um, God is continuing 
to talk to Moshe. Venatati etchen ha'am hazeh be'enei Mitzrayim. I'm going to give this people status in the eyes of the Egyptians. Ve'hayaki telechun lo telchu rekam. And when they leave, they're not going to leave empty-handed. Remember, the Jews had no ability whatsoever to build any type of wealth physically, and I'm going to even add in there spiritually, okay, because of the subjugation, because of the servitude, because of the difficulties. All their rights were taken away. Everything, they were bereft of everything. We can, we can understand this by drawing an analogy of what happened to the Jews in, in the Holocaust. Everything was taken away. They couldn't function. They had rendered a service to the Egyptians for now 210 years. And, um, you know, there was no compensation for their work. So here we get the promise from God that he is not going to um, let the Jews go empty-handed. Veshi'ala isha mishchenta. Umigarat beta, clay kesef, clay zahav, usmalot, besamtem albenechem, albenotechem, venitzaltem et mitzraim. What's going to happen is every woman will, and here's something interesting, borrow from her neighbor next door or in the same house utensils of gold and silver and clothing, and you shall exhaust them, sorry, you shall place them on your sons and daughters, and thus you will exhaust Egypt, meaning you will empty out Egypt. Now this in and of itself needs explanation, but we're going to wait until after the break for that. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, so let's now go and uh, dissect what is actually happening with um with with what Moses um is being told by God. Basically, the first thing that we need to understand is that, in fact, um, the Jews had not been paid for 210 years, okay? And so um, they needed to be recompensated. And so when they're going to leave Egypt, God is telling Moses that, in fact, um, he is going to, to allow them to take, so to speak, spoils from the Egyptians, but not stealing. There was no theft. We do not steal. We do not take that which does not belong to us. But God gives a prophecy that the Egyptians are going to come and give them utensils of gold and silver and clothing. Now, if you look at the words, the last three words of verse 22, et mitzrayim, and um, I saved you. Well, I mean, well, you're going to exhaust Egypt. Vinitzaltim has the root of the word natsal, which means to exhaust, or if we can use another English word, to despoil. That is also very much um, connected to the word salal, which means to sink. And so you can use the word metsula, which means the depths of the sea. So basically what this was saying is that Egypt will become as empty as the depths of the sea where there are no fish. Because as everybody knows, fish live much nearer the surface than the depths of the sea. And really what God was saying was that by the time all this upheaval is going to take place in Egypt, by the time they have gone through um, through all the plagues, the Egyptians would have such great respect that they would press these things upon the Jews 
as gifts. Um, the Israelites, on the other hand, there's another part of this. The Israelites, the Jewish people, obviously would be embarrassed to take from them, and the Egyptians say, "No, you can, you can, you you can lend these things from us." And that's why it says over here that uh, they will they they will they will lend it. They'll say, "Yeah, take it, take it. You you, you can bring it up another time," because by the time we get to the tenth plague, you will see that Egypt, the Egyptians, want to just simply. Get rid of the Jews. One of the ways they got rid of the Jews is say, yeah, yeah, take this, take this, yeah, what else do you want? Take whatever you want, just get, get the heck out of here. And so that, that is going, going, going to happen. So from a practical point of view, God was promising that they would not go empty handed. And what would happen is that there would be a transference of the wealth of Egypt onto the, the, the Jewish people, which is important. I think I like to look at it as well as the idea that moving from a galut, moving from a place of constriction, a place of slavery, a place of servitude, moving into a paradigm of geula, of redemption, um, one takes with themselves a tremendous amount of emotional wealth and a, and a tremendous amount of spiritual wealth. And what do I mean by that is that we all know that when we are constricted, when we find ourselves in a place of servitude, of, 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 of slavery, of difficulty, when we find ourselves in a place where we feel stuck and we have to navigate our way out of that stuckness, if we are to learn the lessons of this bondage, um, and come out the other end enlightened, we actually acquire a tremendous amount of emotional EQ. Undoubtedly, we know, I certainly know, and I'm sure all of you um, know either famous people who've made themselves famous or maybe just quiet individuals that you have, you have, you have met that have developed an incredible um, sense of resilience, of compassion, of emotional intelligence, um, of the ability of wisdom, of ability of, 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 of understanding how to navigate through a difficult situation. So God's promise to the Jewish people was not only that there was, you know, the rands and cents and hey guys, Egyptians, you have to pay for, for the bondage, for, for the work that the Jews have done. Yes, there was that component. And yes, there will be the component that the, the Israelites would have enough, I mean, the Egyptians would have enough that they would bribe the Jews out of, out of, uh, out of Egypt. But I think it's teaching us a, a much more important lesson. And I think it's a lesson that if we're finding ourselves currently in a place of constriction, of restraint, of bondage, of slavery, that there's a Pharaoh on top of us, that this situation that we find ourselves in is there to teach us lessons. And for us to attain redemption, we need to spiritually, emotionally, mentally grow. We need to gather wealth. We need to dig deep inside of ourselves and use um, strengths that perhaps we didn't know we had. Get, make like just start gathering a, 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 an arsenal of. Um, characteristics that will allow us to navigate difficult places. And as I said, you can see that on people who have gone through difficult places and have become so inspirational 
and so amazing that you look back and you go, my gosh, you went through all of that and look how you've come out like an incredible human being. This is what I think um, the Torah is saying that God is promising that when we find ourselves in a space of constriction, we in fact um, are there to learn the lessons and then move forward in a much more expansive, expansive way. Now, this was a learning lesson for, for Moshe Rabbeinu. And just by the way, um, I'd love your feedback on that. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Okay. Um, have you gone, th- let me ask you this. Have you gone through a difficult situation and now with 2020 vision with hindsight, whilst it was terribly painful, whilst no one wished it on their worst enemy, now that you're on the other side, do you not look back and say, if I had not gone through what I went through, um, I would not be the person who I am today. I'd love to know your thoughts. 34519 is the SMS line. 0618951019 is our telegram number. Having said all of that, Moshe is listening to this and he too needs to be expanded. He too needs to understand it more and he rebuffs God. Vayan Moshe. So Moshe answers. Vayomer and he says, Vehein lo yaaminuli, but they won't believe me. Velo yishmeu bekoli, they won't listen to me, to my voice. Ki yomru, they will say, lo nire elecha Hashem, God did not appear to you. He repeats it again. Now, the first time that, that, that he rebuffed that, he was told, you need to come with the phrase, pakod pakadati. That I have truly remembered. Okay. And he was comfortable with that because he knew that if he goes to the, which, which he had to, he had to go to the elders of the Jewish people first. They would accept that because if you recall what we said was that pakod pakadati, what I will definitely, which means I definitely will keep you in mind. Those two words were a code word, were a sign that um, when the Jewish people would hear that in Egypt, that that was the true redeemer. Joseph, Joseph received that from Yaakov, and Joseph passed on the secret to his brothers, and one of his brothers, Asher, told this secret to his daughter, Sarah. Okay? Some say that it was only Sarah that knew this, um, this secret code and that God had promised that she would live to see the redemption. And if anybody came and, and said, oh, no, the Redeemer's come, the elders would come and present him before Sarah. Okay? And she would determine and to, to test if he knew the correct phrase. Um, but the bottom line is, is that whether it got to Sarah or some other opinions went and said that Yosef, Joseph was very close to his brother Levi, and he told Levi the secret, and he told Levi not to tell the rest of his brothers. Levi went and passed it on to his son Kahat, and his son Kahat passed it on to Amram. Okay, and that's where it was. They, 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 they. they the, the, that's where the, the secret um, stayed. The very fact that Moshe, who was raised in the palace 
and didn't have any connection to Amram, to Kahat, to any of these people. And he would come back and say, Pakot Pakarati, which the elders knew now from Amram. That was a sure sign that it was him. And even more, very interesting, if you listen to the words, Pakod Pakadati. Um, when you pronounce this, you're using your lips and your, the, 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 the guttural, Pakod Pakadati. Now we know that, that, that Moshe was heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue. He had a stutter. Okay. That is very hard to say, Pakod Pakadati, if you've got a stutter. Okay. Um, so if Moshe came and said those words with a stutter, then there would be no question that they would believe him. So Moshe was kind of like brought into the idea that the elders of Israel would believe him, but he's repeating himself again that they, meaning the Jewish people, are going to argue that um, who are you? And we don't believe. Um, and I guess there was this interplay in Moshe's mind that he understood, so to speak, the psychology of miracles. Because, you know what? A miracle can have a very, very strong impact on a person. But truthfully, miracles are temporary, are temporary. Okay? Because once the miracle, like, recedes into history, we start raising questions of maybe it was their fraud, was their deceit, was it really like that, was it – I'll give you an example. If you take the Six-Day War in Israel, which categorically, unequivocally, no questions, was an outright, absolute miracle from beginning to end. When that miracle happened, okay – um, there was euphoria in Israel and everybody recognized that it was the hand of God. But go read the history books 40, 50 years later. And now there's books written on military strategy and it just happened like this and it happened like that. Miracles are great when they happen and people like see what it is and then what happens is that it just dissipates. And so Moshe didn't want to go on his mission, okay? He didn't want Jesus, but they're not going to believe me, so I'm going to do one thing, they're not going to believe me. He, he, he was still reticent. God actually, God actually gets cross with Moshe. Because, again, what was Moshe saying? They won't listen to me. And even if I perform signs and miracles, they'll believe me. It's only going to be temporary because as time passes, the impact of this miracle is just going to wear them off and they're going to figure out that I've got some, you know, tricks up my sleeve. But God gets really cross with Moshe Rabbeinu because there is a, there is an element of distrust here. It's the same as we do now. Yes, there's a miracle, well, but, but no, but look what happened now. Look how Russia invaded Ukraine. Look, look what's happening in America. Look, look at this. Look. We tend to try revert back to what we can understand logically. It is very hard, but necessary to remain fixed, okay? To remain fixed and to see, to see only the, 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 the miracle behind it that God's running it then to get fixated on the logistics. So God, you're going to see now in his response, We'll give him a, a, a whole lot of other signs, 
but the signs will be a, a, a chastising of Moshe for his lack of emuna. So God says to him, Maze biyadecha. Okay, what is in your hand? Vayomer, and he says, Vayomer Moshe, and Moshe Vayomer Mate. Moshe answers, a staff. Vayomer, so God says, Hashlichehu Arza, Vyashlichehu Arza. He says, throw it on the ground. So Moshe threw his staff on the ground. Remember, this is the very famous staff. I spoke about it a couple of shows earlier. You could go and listen on podcasts. Um, that this was a miraculous staff. He says, throw it on the ground. So Moshe threw it on the ground. And it became a snake. What happened? Moshe ran away from it. But Hashem says to Moshe, I want you to reach out with your hand and grasp it with its tail. And so he puts out his hand, and he holds onto it, it reverts back to a, it reverts back to a, to a what, to, to a, to a staff. And then God says, Laman, in order, Ya'aminu, so that they should believe ki nire elecha Hashem eloke avotechem eloke Avram eloke Yitzhak veleyakov. This is the sign, says God, so that they may believe that God will, God appear to you, the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. A very interesting idea. Like, would you be convinced if a guy takes a staff, throws it on the ground, it becomes a snake, and then he holds it by the back, the, the end, and it becomes back a, a staff again. This, this says God is going to convince them that I sent you, that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has sent you. Now, as we go through this, just be wary that God actually gives them three signs. It's this sign and two other signs which we will get to. So let's just go back into the verses and see that it says mazeh, but really in truth, it should be read, it can be read mise from that. So what, what, um, God is not saying is not what is that in your hand, but God is saying from that in your hand. Now, why do we have to be bothered by this seemingly small aberration in, in, in the description? What's the difference between what is that in your hand and mise from that which is in your hand? Well, it's very, very important because here God is giving Moshe a message. What he's saying is, listen, Moshe, you actually deserve punishment from that which is in your hand. You have adapted the techniques of the snake and you have begun to resort to slander. Why? You're talking lush and horror about the Jewish people. You are saying, my you're saying my people do not believe. I'm telling you that there are believers, the, the, the children of believers. Okay? And I told you that they will listen to your voice. And you keep on contradicting me, saying they will not believe me. They will not believe me. Now, you're, you're wrong, Moshe. Number one, you're contradicting God. 
Okay? Right? That's number one. Number two, number two, you are speaking Loshan horror about the Jewish people. So when he says from that which is in your hand, God is chastising and saying it's from, it's your perception, Moshe. This is your perception. I'm telling you what the truth is. You're not buying into it. And that's why God didn't transform the staff into a snake as a sign for the children of Israel. If he had, he would have told Moses, when you go to the Israelites and they don't believe you, cast the, the, down the staff and it will turn into a snake. He did that in front of Paroi. But what God was wanting to teach Moshe was don't resort to the techniques of the serpent. And we know in Torah, the serpent is about distorting reality. Okay, and what we actually see, what we actually see is that Moshe gets scared and he flees from the snake. We're going to see what happens. Don't go away. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, so really what, what was um, the reason that Moshe fled? Why? He was afraid that the snake would bite him. And that God now would not help him because he realized that he had sinned. And this is something that I want to discuss a little bit in length. Because when something negative happens to us, we always think it is the thing or the person that is committing the, 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 the sin or the, the pain that they're causing us that it's their fault. But they are really the stick in the hand of, of, of God, right? So in general, when a person sins, when a person puts his trust in those things that he sees and he perceives to be in charge, then you'll be subject to the laws of nature and you will cease to, so to speak, enjoy the special protection that God gives us. So this, it was an incredibly important lesson that Moshe was being taught and us. When we do good, when we overcome our desires, the serpent will change into a staff. If we follow our desires, a staff can change into a venomous venomous snake. And then we can be punished. If we are being punished, and I'm putting punishment in inverted commas because we never punish. God is just trying to show us the right way. It's not, it's not a God of vengeance that just wants to be nasty. Okay. Um, we can either go look at that thing that caused the pain and blame it because then, then what's happened? We've changed the staff into a snake or we can ask who caused that thing to bring that punishment to me and turn our hearts towards God. And when we do and we realign ourselves, that snake will become a staff. We will, and this is really the, 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 the idea that I introduced in the beginning of the show, that when we go through difficult times, it's there to give us resilience. It's there for us to overcome our natural tendencies to blame, to be angry, to have fear, to have anxiety, and to see the goodness within it. You know, there's a very famous story in the Gemara that once there was a poisonous snake um, and, and it had already killed a number of people. And the people, 
um, in Israel, they, they didn't know what else to do. This poisonous snake was very slithery, it was nasty, and it, it, it would pop up in the most innocuous places and kill people. Okay, so the, the citizens of that town, I'm not sure which town it was, went and they found a great rabbi at the time, very famous, his name is Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. And they said to him, please, you've got to help us, you, you need to do something. So Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa said, no problem. And they took him to where they believed was the snake's den. And it says he placed his foot over the snake's den. The snake jumped up to bite him. And as he tried to do that, the snake immediately died. And then Rabbi Hanina put his hand into the den and he pulled out the snake. He put the huge snake on his shoulders and he brought it back to the Beit Medrash. He brought it back to the house of study. And he put it down in front of his students and he says, said to them the following words. Listen carefully. The snake does not kill. Sin does. What was he saying? Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Again, I'm going to repeat the words. The snake does not kill. Sin does. In fact, afterwards, just before we dissect and understand what he was saying, people walked around and went and said, Woe to the person who encounters a snake, but woe to the snake that encounters Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. So what Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa was saying is that you will not be harmed if you are completely connected to godliness, aligned with morality and integrity, and you are doing what is right. When you start channeling that power to the snake, the snake will buy. Now, as a general rule, we don't depend on miracles. And miracles do not always happen. But miracles can increase if the person to whom that which is, hap is happening is a great saint. So he is saying that Rabbi Hanina Bedos was saying everything that manifests is in God's hand. And if a person is righteous enough, even a snake can't harm him. Fire can't burn unless God wills it. Water can't drown unless God wills it. The car won't crash into you unless God, God wills it. So that's why the people were saying, woe is the person who encounters the snake. Because the normal human being looks at these as natural events completely beyond man's control. And you lose your money in your business, the world, there's nothing to prevent it. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, by killing the snake, went and said, if something happens to a person, it's because God has willed it. It's because maybe you're not I-I-I, not the thing that caused it. Yes, will that which caused it get its own retribution? Yes. But that does not mean that we need to give power to that person. There's another story of a, of a Roman matron who, who would read the Torah when it was translated into Greek. And he came to Rabbi Yossi, and he was a worshipper. Sorry, this it was a woman. She was a worshipper of, of a snake god. So she says to Rabbi Yossi, my god is greater than yours. And even if you look at the Bible, Moses admitted it. Because when Moshe saw your god in the burning bush, he hid his face. But when he saw my god, the serpent, he ran away. So you can see that um, my God is bigger than yours. And Rabbi Yossi replied, your, your logic, madam, with all due respect, is faulty. 
For our God fills all the universe, and there was no place to which Moses could flee from him. In the case of your God, Moses could escape, but maybe stepping back two or three steps, but he couldn't escape God. And so whilst Moshe fled, he fled for a few reasons. He fled because he was hiding. He, he, he understood that God was chastising him. Why, why are you giving me such uphill Moses? If I'm empowering you and telling you to go, if I'm giving you the sign to go, why you keep on arguing and arguing and arguing? It's a very bad trait we Jewish people have. We argue way too much. So this really is, uh, is, is something that we need to learn in our lives, something very, very important. And I'm going to conclude um, the show just a couple of minutes early simply because I don't want to go and get into the new, the new sign which in and of itself is a whole discussion. So just to bring things to the, to, to, to a conclusion. The first thing is this whole going out with wealth was not only a practical consideration. Yes, it was. But if we are, we are to believe that the Torah is timeless, it is a lesson to all of us. When we find ourselves in a place of bondage, of difficulty, it's because God is asking us to gather new wealth, to gather new information, to gather Resilience together, whatever it is that we need together to navigate through that difficult situation so that when we go through the process of redemption and we can put the bad be behind us, we can say we are not the same person that went into this bondage. And we have to come out with that spiritual, emotional, mental wealth in as much as we should come out also with physical wealth. That is the first lesson. And the second lesson um, is that we must know it is not the snake that, that kills, it's sin. And I don't like using the word sin because the word sin like has like a, like a really, it's, 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 it's too, it's, it's, it's a naive way of, of, of talking about things. Sin means that we are not aligned with God and our purpose and our connection to God. When we are connected to God, we create a, an aura of protection. And we also show God that we are on the right path and we can pray to God to create a miracle to help us out of that situation. Don't blame the stick. Go to the, go back to the one who's holding the stick. And that's really where I would like to conclude. A happy, uh, week to everybody, um, out there. And please God, I'll be back at the same time, same place as always. One o'clock on 101.9 High FM.